Movies and Booze. I'm Moncrief on News Talk. There we go. Uh, that's a Halloween version of our Movies and Booze thing. It isn't indeed uh, time for uh, Movies and Booze. Just going back to the piece we did on octopuses. I see a fair few, because I was said octopuses all the way through it. Uh, a few people text in to say, is it not octopi? It is apparently one of those words where you the plural is octopuses, but you can also say octopi. It's a bit like uh, referendums uh, or referenda or indeed orgasms or orgasmy. Uh, 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 speaking of being orgasmy, I, I am in the orgasmial company of... <laughs> that was a worst, worst segue ever. Uh, Mick O'Connell, Brian uh, Lloyd and Fanula Jones. Jonas, once again, good afternoon to you all. Hi, guys. Uh, octopod, apparently, is what I thought uh, the plural of octopuses was, was octopods. Octopods? Apparently, yeah. What's an octopod? That's a load of octopuses. A load yeah. of octopuses, yeah. Right, okay. Okay. Uh, Mick, how are you? Long time no see. You know what the plural is for a wine geek? A hangover of wine geeks. <laughs> right. A hangover of wine geeks. Are, we, are these both Italian wines we're talking They're about They're both today? Italian wines and very autumnal. I, I was thinking scary wines and then I was like, I literally just can't think of anything to draw even some sort of tenuous link between yeah. wine. Yeah. And maybe I should have went for something really strong. So that it's like the scary hangover the following day, maybe. Well, that's yeah, that, that um, was, anyway. Yeah. That was the loosest, like her yeah. closest I could get. But these these are two Italian wines: one from the northeast, from the Valpolicella region, and one from Chianti Classico, so right in the heart of Tuscany. Right. Um, two very very delicious wines. One by a guy with a very Irish sounding name, Sean O'Callaghan who happens to be English, born in Sri Lanka, educated in Germany and lived his whole life in Tuscany, <laughs> as you do. As you do, yeah. And then the other is from the Boscaini family who just celebrated their 250th vintage. The Boscaini family. Boscaini. Yeah. I mean, even the sound of that makes me think you don't want to mess with them. You don't. No, actually, that was my... I was. It's probably a bit racist, actually, because you immediately think, Tony Boscaini is going to, you know, there's, there's, shoot you in the knees. There's probably like a horse's head at your, at yeah. your doorstep or something already. Yeah. You know, you've got to be careful. Horse's head. <laughs> uh, right, so the, the two movies today... Um, what you see, you know... <laughs> I can see, see your face crazy already, already, yeah, yeah already. Yeah. Black Adam, right? right. No, because they, this is this is a DC or is it a Marvel? DC, or does it doesn't matter anyway. DC, all these, all these kind of comic-y ones, right? They're, they're, it's like, yeah, um, that's the other black one. Black, uh, I was going to say black, black Panther. Panther. Black Panther. Black yeah. Panther yeah. Why, why black? Why, why isn't he just Panther? Why isn't he just Adam? But it's like you know, you have superheroes, and then the kind of black version, which isn't yeah. quite the same. There's a, you know, isn't there a bit of that in all this? There is an element of that, yeah, yeah. definitely. I mean, look, you could go, there's a long and very problematic history with black um, superheroes and stuff like that. There's like mm. Luke Cage and everything like that, Hero for Hire. Um, yeah, no, but it's not in any way, like Black Panther was good. Black Panther was actually a really, really good film, I thought. It had a great soundtrack, a really kind of visual... Um, Luke Cage had a good soundtrack, actually. It the did TV too, show. yeah, yeah. The Naz, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Naz and all the rest of it, yeah, no, great show. Um, Black Adam is absolute pants, though. Um, oh. It's just terrible like it's just really really poor and what's more interesting about it is that I would say 75% of the problems lie with its actual main star Dwayne Johnson oh really yeah because everybody likes The Rock that's the 
thing. Yeah. That's the thing. He's too goddamn likable. Like this character, Black Adam, is supposed to be this like anti-hero, and he's out for revenge, and it's kind of like Gladiator. You know, he was a slave who became a hero, and blah 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 blah. But it's Dwayne Johnson. He's just too nice. You just think he's gonna crack a joke out and then do a little selfie before he like kills people. You can't take him seriously as this anti-hero. Right. And then as well as the fact that like anti-heroes are just so kind of rote. So yeah, it's yeah. it's not good. Yeah, and uh, and Emily, uh, this is Emily Bronte. Emily Bronte, this yeah. is great. I is love Emily this. Bronte as a Gen Z snowflake? Uh, no, oh, come on, get it. <laughs> I'm like, I was, I feel I'm gonna write a book about something. <sighs> Don't be like, don't be that. Don't, don't give me I'm that. I'm just in that kind of a mood. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah, as he takes a big huge gold with his wine. Happy Friday. Yeah, happy Friday. Um, no, this is actually like a very, very gothic, um, dark, quite risque um, retelling of Emily Bronte's life. She had this very stormy affair with a reverend called William Whiteman, who's played by Oliver Jackson Cohen. Um, it's written and directed by Francis O'Connor great actor now uh, this is her debut film I really really enjoyed this like it actually does try to kind of grapple with the idea of can you use art to process trauma and everything it's not the big Gen Z snowflake kind of crap that you were uh, <laughs> kicking things off I with. was just being deliberately provocative. I know I know <laughs> yeah. you are I know you are but um, no it is I actually Emily I, I really really enjoyed but it's a shame though because it's already kind of disappearing from cinemas you kind of have to travel a little bit to see it oh now. really already yeah yeah okay. well, for one week yeah but is it is it a Netflix jobby and that's really what the idea was? No, 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 no. Like I mean, it was Warner Brothers. Like I mean, it probably will end up on HBO Max in the US, like yeah. like that. But um, no, I mean, it's it's definitely worth seeing in the cinema because it's very very atmospheric. So yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, we'll be talking about both those in just a wee while. In the meantime, James Corden. Yes. Um, <laughs> this is you see James Corden was banned from Balthazar which is like a famous restaurant in yeah. Manhattan and yeah. uh, this I think is a good news story because uh, uh, so many people fervently want to think that James Corden is a dick and this is a uh, final we have the proof yeah I think this week has kind of pulled back the curtain on what so many knew probably like the worst kept secret in Hollywood so for context as you mentioned uh, Keith McNally he's the restaurateur behind Balthazar's in Manhattan uh, on Instagram it was earlier this week yeah he came out and basically said uh, that James Corden was banned from Balthazar's over two specific incidences in which he was really, really rude to the servers, like beyond, beyond. Um, And then a couple of hours later, uh, Keith McNally had another post up on Instagram basically saying that James had rang him and was really apologetic, etc, etc, everything else. So he was lifting the ban, right? And now James Corden has come out and commented on it uh, himself. He was speaking to the New York Times because he's promoting Mammals, which is his new movie, which is coming out soon, I think. And he's basically kind of gone back on it because Keith McNally was like he was really apologetic and whatever else blah 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 he's basically said now that he did nothing wrong and he's feeling like really zen after being criticised over this really poor behaviour of the servers if you read the accounts it's like he's going completely mad over kind of really small things that they did try to rectify and is asking for like loads of free booze and like comped food to make up for it at one point he's threatening to leave really bad Yelp reviews if he doesn't get it um, but yeah he's just said he oh feels, no what a monster I know <laughs> he's just said he feels so zen about the whole thing he he thinks it's so silly said he hasn't read anything he kind of was making the point that he feels like he's only had one person come up to him about it um, and just doesn't really think that anyone was talking about this despite the fact that it, his name has been trending on Twitter for the entire week so yeah now at least we have grounds to dislike him as opposed to just him being and everything No but Keith McNally unbanned him after they had this phone conversation yeah, so, so has he, he re-banned him? He hasn't re-banned him yet as far as I'm aware he made some joke about how uh, he he was going to lift the band if he let him host the Late Late Show which he hosts in the States um, but he seems to be unbanned but like 
I don't know. There's, Do you if want you to were, show your face there again, like after that? Yeah, well, like that that's the thing. I'm just like, there's. If you are anyway on the pulse with like pop culture and everything else, like this is on like blind items, blind items and stuff. He has this reputation for being like capital D diva in restaurants and just generally being not nice, not allegedly just, to servers. Not just in restaurants. I saw it up close once. I can't. <gasps> yeah. Really? Saw, yeah. I don't know now if I'm going to get in trouble. Spill. I'm going to get in trouble there. I'm getting there. Okay, yeah, better not say. I'll say. I'll say that. It's a, it's, well, it's a first person account, you know. It's yeah. all allegedly. It's and all your said, opinion, yeah. Said, yeah. You know. But even if anyone subscribed to the... There's a newsletter that I actually probably can't say on air because of the name, but they, even they had an alleged recount of a time that he was on a plane with his wife and was just, like, really not being very nice to her and just very... I get big egomaniac vibes. So, yeah. Even, to be honest, even the fact that he... What did, like, if you had said you'd Apologised. I don't know why you wouldn't be doubling down in this article and being like, "Yeah, look, it is really silly, but like, I lost my head. There was hair in my food. I lost my head. It was, yeah, you know. I yeah. just feel like this are this interview actually makes him look worse because he's trying to make it out that it's like it's so trivial, blah blah blah. And in some ways, it is, but I don't know. Just isn't he going to stop doing that TV show soon anyway? Yeah, he has one year left. Uh, next year is his. It's going into next year, and then he's done. So uh, he said he might address it on next week's show as well. So I don't know if he's just on next Monday's show. So I don't know if he's just waiting for that as well but okay and when he's finished doing the TV show is he going to move back to the UK I don't think so again there's like whispers that he's in talks for kind of Broadway stuff specific shows but he's not moving back to the UK the UK don't want him I don't think either yeah okay I'd certainly not Nobody the restaurant wants him, yeah. anyway uh, he, right, he so, so Prime Minister don't you think uh, yeah yeah <laughs> I was hoping for that job myself. Uh, um, <laughs> apparently, like, a woman gets, like, 140 grand a year pension for, for the rest of her for, for four weeks' work. That's so, like, grand. sweet deal. <gasps> you know. All you have to do, like, be elected PM, completely trash their economy. Anyone could do that. Yeah. My dog could do that. <laughs> uh, right, so, uh, and then speaking of pay, uh, every, uh, um, actors in Hollywood don't earn as much anymore. It's the big bucks are gone. It's all in the TV world now, apparently. There was a really good piece in The Hollywood Reporter this week that kind of broke it down and kind of said that, as you said, these kind of big paydays for most uh movie stars are gone and like the likes of things like box office bonuses like if it does really well you won't get it unless you're the likes of Tom Cruise doing something like Top Gun Maverick I think he had something baked into his contract that they just knew that this was going to make so much money and it obviously did Um, but where you're going to make money is uh, the TV jobs so they were kind of breaking down what actors would make if they were doing if they were doing jobs or whatever else so like most big screen actors will get paid between Two million and four million dollars per job. And um, if you're kind of lesser known, so we'll say like Glenn Powell. I'm using a lot of Top Gun Maverick references here, but he's probably the best example. He's looking at maybe between one and two million. Zendaya is kind of a unicorn amongst that. I found this really interesting. Apparently, sources say that she makes between eight million dollars per job to ten million dollars. Okay. That's apparently what she got for Challengers. Um, Harry Styles, who we've seen in Don't Worry Darling and the upcoming, or I think it's out now, it's that out, might be yeah, thing. Yeah, and Amazon wouldn't give me a screener and they didn't have a press screener for it. That's so that probably was probably because that means. it's so bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, apparently he only got between, I say only, he only got uh, 500k, uh, between 500k to 1.5 million dollars for his oh. show. Um, and then kind of anyone on the smaller scale, so maybe someone's doing their first feature, they're going to get 65,000 dollars. But then with TV, uh, that's where the shift has come. Like you're talking about bagging like massive amounts of money for episodes like it could be up to 40 
$40,000 an episode, but if you're a bigger name, you might get somewhere between $250,000 to $300,000. True A-listers can get like upwards of half a million, which is just bananas. Um, directors then, like you're talking, where it's different again is the box office bonuses that I spoke about. Um, but again, if they're big names, they might get upwards of like $20 million and they might still be able to have the the power to have that in their contract that it's like, if this makes a certain amount, I'm going to get a bonus for it. So probably the likes of, we'll say, the best example is probably James Cameron, maybe with the new Avatar. Yeah, That's me. Yeah. I'm basing that on my own intuition there. That's not info I have, but yeah. yeah, Crazy okay. money. That's why all the, the big screen guys are going to the small screen. They're but all doing TV. Uh, but it's getting less crazy from what you're saying, it sounds like. But I suppose there's more work, so it kind of evens out in yeah. the end. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, just saw Black Adam today walked out. It was so bad. Yeah, true. It's a texter. Yeah, I could believe that. Okay, totally but you've seen that. it to the bitter end. So oh no, I'm a professional, damn it. Yeah, well done. That's <laughs> the stuff. Right, so tell us about our first wine today, Michael. So the one in the glass is Tenuta de Carleone, which is a Chianti Classico. So it's from the village of Rada in Chianti. And this is this is properly film set stuff. Rolling hills, cypress trees. Very, very, very beautiful part of, of Tuscany in Italy. Um, but this is made by a man called Sean O'Callaghan. Sean made a winery called Riecine, very famous. Um, he was the winemaker there through the 90s and early noughties. And he brought that from kind of an average county estate, of which there are very, very many, to a kind of five star, always topping all the charts in kind of Gambero Rosso, which is the Italian wine guide, all these kind of things. That was bought by a Russian oligarch and Sean didn't see eye to eye with that man and he left to do Tenuta de Carleone. Really? Okay. So Sean has been kind of a bit of a nomadic uh, winemaker through his career but has settled settled in Chianti and has been at Carleone since 2015. Um... He has an Austrian senator as the cash behind this one, but has very much been allowed to do whatever he wants to do. <laughs> it all sounds very Bond movie yeah, so far, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. I just, I, I get a feeling that if you're a, if you own a winery in Tuscany, you probably are a Bond villain. You have a huge basement yeah, uh, where you have like weapons and things. Sharks yeah. with weapons on their yeah. heads and stuff, yeah. But look, this is, Sean is... In, randomly is one of the kind of fathers of the natural wine scene in Australia and I know that sounds random given he's making wine in, in Italy but Tom Shawbrook and Anton von Klopper who are two very famous natural wine guys in, in Oz met at his place doing vintage and kind of took a lot of Sean's ideas which are just very very minimal intervention so it's all organic fruit no funny business in the winery of which you can do lots of additions and changes to wine. You can add colour, you can add acid, you can add tannin, you can do all of these things. You can add booze, you can strip booze out, you can add sugar. Mm. There's all of these things that you can do and Sean would be very much the opposite of that and, and totally minimal intervention. The guys took that back to Oz and kind of developed the natural wine scene there which is now kind of booming. Um, Sean is less... Um, less pedantic with all of that stuff in a he'll use an amount of sulfites and stuff like that so he makes very clean wines mm. um, they aren't hippie wines at all I think these are these <laughs> no are but you don't classic. you know the last glass you're chewing it because yeah. there's so much crap in the bottom yeah, yeah. And, and, and look natural wine can be something you know you, you can get really delicious natural wines and you can get crap natural wines mm. in the same way yeah. you can go to your local supermarket and get really delicious wines and really crap 
conventional wines. It, it, the, the options are endless on that stuff. But Sean, I would say, is he's not, yeah, like idealistic about all of those things. He'll do what is required to make the best wine. And I think here you have the just the purest expression of what Sangiovese is. So Sangiovese is the local grape in Tuscany. And here he doesn't use any new oak, which is pretty standard practice across Chianti. And new oak adds a bit of tannin. So it adds a bit of kind of aggressiveness to the texture of the wine. He uses uh, concrete and stainless steel and you just get a really, really pure version of what Sangiovese is. All bitter cherry and if any of you are smokers or used to smoke, it's that thing when you open it. It's got an earthy kind of thing going on. Yeah. You know when you used to open the pouch of rolling tobacco? Oh my God. It's been 15 years, five (sighs) minutes since my last cigarette. I mean, but it, it has that herbal quality to it that is just delicious and it's so food friendly. I mean, this is the kind of wine to have at home and when you're discussing with your partner and you're going, what am I going to eat tonight? And they're like, there's literally nothing in the fridge. So it's pasta again. Oh, it's pasta again. Tomato based sauce. Yeah, tomato based sauce. This is the wine that you want to have with that. It is just perfect with food. Okay. That's absolutely lovely. It's delicious. It's so good. It's really nice. Right. Uh, Obviously, we all have to go out for a smoke break now. So uh, (laughs) after this, we'll be discussing Black Adam. I told you, stop killing people. They look alive to me. Because I saved them. Well, that's why I waited until you were there. I got the information I needed. No one died. I did it your way. He does have a point. I know it got lost in all the confusion, but we still have some issues to settle here. There are only heroes and there are villains. You think yourself a hero, but you would let these criminals go free. Heroes don't kill people. Well, I do. Yeah, rock heroes don't kill people. That's uh, Black Adam. Is it, is it in the, the movie theaters now? Is it is. Big yes. yes. God help us. So uh, this fellow was what? He was like frozen for a million years or something like that. He was locked under a tomb in a fictional country called Kandak for 5,000 years. Prior to that, he was the champion of the people um, and he fought this king who had created this kind of weird glow-in-the-dark crown that gave him superpowers. Mm -hmm. He was woken up 5,000 years later by an archaeologist comes to life, then starts basically killing loads of people in his uh, country, which has been invaded by this international gang of mercenaries. Imaginatively, imaginatively titled Intergang. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Intergang. So then. So wow. then. Damn, that one's copyrighted right. then. Yeah, I was yeah. hoping to use that. During the yeah. international gang of mercenaries. Yeah. Intergang. Intergang. Yeah. So then, uh, continuing the theme of subtlety, um, the Justice Society of America, which is this, <laughs> I, I swear to God, I swear to God, that's the name of them. The Justice Society of America. There's Hawkman, who's got wings. There's Dr. Fate, played by Pierce Brosnan, who can see into the future. There's a character called Atom Smasher, who can grow to like 100 times his size. There's a, a young woman who can spin around. There's a young woman who can control. This is like pound shop Marvel heroes then, This basically. is like... There's A list, there's B list, and then there's like C, like a C yeah, D E. Yeah. These are like Z list superheroes. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, they basically arrive in Kandak, um, fight with Black Adam, and then it turns out that the crown that was the whole kind of centerpiece of the thing has been found again, and then he's got to stop uh, Intergang getting it. 
and I just wanted to claw my eyes out. I wasted two hours of my life watching it. I really began to question my choice in careers. It was terrible. It was just all. It's just, I mean, like, the thing of it is, is that Dwayne Johnson had been pushing this for years. They, this was originally first announced in, like, 2007, which is probably when this should have come out because it might have had a bit more, I don't know, people might have been a bit more leeway towards it because, mm. you know, his. you heard it there, like, oh, well, I kill people. Yeah. That's very, very common now. Like, you have Batman, you have Captain America, you have the Winter Soldier. Like, they all have this kind of thing of, like, oh, we don't kill people, but we actually do kill people and everything. And then on top of that as well, you have this really, I mean, subtle as a fart in a bathtub imagery of like these Americans arriving in a Middle Eastern country trying to save the day. And then the locals rise up against them because, you know, we don't need American intervention and interventionism here. We can do this ourselves. It's really, really thin political allegories going on that are so simplistic that just don't even really make any sense when you kind of apply a little bit of critical thinking to it. Um it's just, it's just muck. It's just complete muck, and yeah. it will probably make a ball of money. Uh, are the action sequences any good? No, no, they're not. They're really not. Like the CGI is terrible. It's just complete sludge. It's like it was done ten years ago in terms of like how it looks. It's not realistic in any way, shape, or form, and that's fine because like superhero films don't necessarily have to be realistic in order for them to be good. Mm. But the CGI needs to be convincing. It needs to have some sort of tactile kind of. Um, visual palette and it doesn't have that at all it just literally looks like you should have a controller in your hand as you're watching the screen flying around the place um, Dwayne Johnson like I said terrible in this shouldn't have been cast in it at all it, it doesn't have the requisite kind of malice and darkness that this character needs the only person I'd say who is coming out anyway decent in this is Pierce Brosnan and fair play yes. to Pierce Brosnan because that man knows how to chew scenery he can just <laughs> drop him in <laughs> drop him into any kind of schlock and he will just clean the floor with the place like he will just he's just giving it all his eyes and he's twi- and he's just fantastic he just understands the assignment he knows this is total dreck and he's just like I'm going to turn up I'm going to swing for the fences I'm going to have a great time doing this I'm going to take my paycheck and I'm going to go off and paint that's what I'm going to do and he has great fun doing it he's the most interesting thing watching this right and the, the, those other the, the Justice Society or whatever yeah. they call themselves is, is there are we in mortal peril of spin-off movies god no no god no 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 not at all none of them have any kind of personality that would make it worth their while making so one which is what you might say as I heard myself saying that I'm like they're probably going to do it no I doubt it because like the reality of it is like Warner, Warner Brothers Discovery and in a, are in a very very precarious financial place at the minute they only had two they only had money to release two films this year or till the end of the year yeah. one was Black Adam the other was Don't Worry Darling they, Ooh, yeah. oh dear <laughs> yeah. that went Don't, yeah we all know how Don't Worry Darling went total blah um, Black Adam will probably make a good a chunk of money because you know you have the midterms coming up as well and it's 12A so kids will go see okay. parents will bring them what have you but after that, though, I mean, ugh, I can't really. And this so, is the thing, like the, the the whole sort of superhero genre, if you like, is really in flux at the minute. Like they're not making them anymore. They're all just going to TV. Like they're all on Disney Plus. You look at like She Hulk, Werewolf by Night, um, you know, the Birds of Prey and all that. They're all on TV now. They're not really kind of going to cinemas anymore. And to be honest, I think that's good because I've noticed it in the last like three to four months, there has been more interest in stuff in cinemas than there has been in years mm. 
Okay. Yeah, but people aren't going to the cinema, but though. Fi- yes, that's the, po- that's the yeah. problem. Yeah. yeah. Fewer. Uh, so there won't be kind of a... This isn't a, a, another attempt to create a kind of a DC universe. Oh, no, type. it is a DC. It is a DC universe. Film. Yeah. No, it is. They are trying to make it. Yeah, they're absolutely trying to make it. Like, Dwayne Johnson was out when they were doing the press tour for it, saying that, oh, I convinced, um, I convinced Warner Brothers to bring back Henry Cavill to play Superman again and all this kind of stuff, even though he had, like, three goals at it and still couldn't get it right. So, uh. yeah. Right. Any, <laughs> uh, any thoughts on the remake of All Quiet in the Western Front, Barry Watson? Loved it. I loved it. I thought really? it was fantastic. It was brilliant. And what's so interesting about All Quiet on the Western Front is, is that the two previous um, adaptations of it were American. Well, American and English. Like the first one in 1931, I think it was. Mm. That was the first um, talking, non-musical film to win Best Picture terrific film like just complete touchstone then there was one in the 70s with um, a guy from the Waltons whose name completely escapes me now but it was like a TV movie and it was brilliant and it was really kind of allegorical of like the Vietnam War and everything because mm. that's really what All Quiet on the Western Front did. it is the quintessential anti-war film this one is the very first adaptation that's been done by Germans, made by German actors, German writers, German directors. And what they have to say about it, because All Quiet on the Western Front, as you know, is made from the German perspective. Yeah. It is a fantastic, really deep and insightful look at what the First World War did to Germany on a fundamental level. The idea of like, you know, that they were just filled with complete BS about, you know, the idea of nationhood and nationalism and that like it's Germany's right to conquer the world and everything. Like the opening scene of it is these kids being brought into the college and their their school teacher who is just completely modelled off of Hitler has like the, the, the gestures and all mm. the rest of it talking about, you know, iron and blood is our is our right and da 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 completely taken off from Hitler but then in the next scene you, you realise they're just teenagers but they're all so excited to pick up guns and go off and fight like um, but yeah it's fantastic it's brilliant um, IFI are playing it I think the Lighthouse are playing it it's going to be on Netflix from today but I would really recommend it if you can go if you have the means go see it in the cinema because it has that really epic scale that you don't see anymore and compared as well to like 1917 from a couple of years ago I thought that was a great film but it really did Lionize the idea of World War One and mm, turned it into mm. this sort of like epic adventure. All Quiet on the Western Front brings it back to you know Blackadder goes forth that it was just mindless slaughter. So it's really, that's, uh, that's I'm not, so interesting. I, it's really, it's it's fantastic. I really really enjoyed it. Yeah, and that's interesting. There, there was ideas about nationhood and, yeah. and the myths of nationhood, and that's very. Uh, germane to today yeah and that's say. it the yeah. director said that Edward Berger said that when they were create, when they were writing this and um, putting it together like you know Brexit was happening you know there was that um, that Day X plot in Germany as well I don't know if you heard about that there was this it, there's a fantastic podcast about it Day X it was about this um, group of German far right nationalists that had infiltrated the army and were trying to like cause a sort of false flag thing it's really really good there's a New York Times podcast about it it's brilliant but um, that was all happening when they were doing this so it was very much as you say germane to the conversation of today right now to move to something even more seriously I love this story we were trying to get this guy this, this is guy who's leaking the results of Strictly Come Dancing before they're now Strictly Come Dancing then must be recorded before it's broadcast. I'm also obviously. obsessed with this story. Yeah. yeah. So essentially, Strictly Come Dancing is all shot on Saturday, but it's split up into the two programs. So on Saturday, you have the version where it's they're dancing and they do the performances, and then Sunday is the results. But it's all shot on Saturday as live. That was a change that was brought in around 2008 when uh, the late Sir Bruce Forsyth, he Forsyth, I should say, he was hosting, but he was in ill health and he couldn't really cope with the actual live broadcast anymore, and they just haven't changed it since. Um, 
But then, because you're there for the Saturday, everyone knows who's gone on the Saturday, everyone who's working there, obviously mm. everyone who's involved, studio audience, blah, blah, blah. So for the last few years, there's been this guy, his name is David Thorpe, and he runs this website, I think it's literally just called Strictly Spoiler, clues in the name, um, where people can go and find out who's been eliminated before the Sunday results show. And this has caused, like, massive consternation in the Strictly fandom. Like, George Anton Dubeck came out this week and was really critical of it and was basically saying that people don't want the results early. Uh, your man David came out and gave another statement, basically saying that he really respects Anton, but there's clearly a market for it because his website gets, like, 400,000 hits a day because people are just desperate for the result and for it to be spoiled. And he's basically said, you know what, I provide a service here. I'm not going to stop spoiling it. So up yours, Anton. Essentially, and I can still can't figure out who's who's telling. They can't because it's okay because it's clearly not him because they know who he is now and he's not there every week. There were some rumors that maybe it was a member of staff, whatever else. Must be, yeah. Um, Because I doubt it's someone who's in the audience every week. I don't really know how that ticket allocation works, but I doubt it's the same person or like someone reoccurring coming every week. You know what I mean? The call is coming from inside the house, dear reader. So yeah, but they can't figure it out. They can't figure it out. No, that's and he started making. I think the issue is is this year is because he started making like money off it because their social media platforms for the website they've amassed like huge followings he's making money off the advertising on the website so I think that's why it's kind of more solidifying I just love the psychology around wanting to know the result before it comes out I'm very like that sometimes I look up ah, yeah. lots of movies and see what happens just because I want to know as we've actually said it people, yeah. are, people are looking that up right now yeah. they want to know there you go yeah, they want to know it's around that website on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday Thursday and Friday yeah it really is a one day thing like, yeah. you know what I mean yeah it's true but that's, yeah. that's, an, that's a lovely part time job for him there you uh, go uh, generating a bit of because apparently he's in university yeah this fa- I know we don't know what age he is, whether he's like a, a mature student or he's just like some 19 year old. Still, yeah, entrepreneurial. Nice you know? Entrepreneurial lecturer. Probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> doing, I'm doing classics. I'm going to be a writer. <laughs> right. Uh, you are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We'll take a break. More movies and booze after this. Movies and booze on Moncrief on News Talk. Anyway, you are listening to. Uh, it is, uh, we are halfway through, uh, or more than halfway through, uh, movies and booze. Ed Sheeran wrote a Bond theme and but they're not going to use it because it was rubbish. Uh, that's not, well, that's no, not I, exactly I, it. Am I overstating it? Yeah. You are. I don't think you're wrong but I'm not sure that's the reason he'd agree with. He was initially supposed to do it for No Time to Die when Danny Boyle was directing um, so there were talks I think at that point and chatting to each other and it was like do you want to do it and he basically said that he was like this close to it basically being signed, sealed and delivered. But there was a lot of changes with that movie, obviously. They went to Billie Eilish then, um, but he'd already started writing the song. So there is some remnants of an Ed Sheeran Bond theme somewhere on a hard drive that will hopefully be destroyed imminently um, because I don't want to hear it. It's not going to be good. And I'm not an Ed hater, but he just... That doesn't... They don't They don't compute in my mind at all. Other than that they're both British institutes, I suppose. Doesn't translate for me. Yeah, you can't see an Ed Sheeran song. No, he's hoping to do it again in the future. Oh, and is he? Yeah. Is he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no but show. I don't know if that's just if that's based on anything other than he really wants to do it. I don't know if there are other conversations going on. But I'm sure he gets what he wants, though. Mm. That is the thing. Mm. Yeah, that is the thing. And it'll sell a boatload if they had him because it is just such a name. But what do you think he's like the servers in restaurants? That's the real problem. Yeah, that I know, is I'm the sure question. he's lovely. He pulls pints and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. uh, presumably he wants to show his grittier, more uh, overtly sexual self. <laughs> 
I was going to say, there's actually a long history of like uh, also ran Bond theme songs over the years. Like Pulp did one for Tomorrow Never Dies. No, that's, wow, that's, re- that's actually a really really I good song. Yeah, no, it's really good. Tomorrow Never Lies. It's called for Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, I get it. Radiohead did one for Spectre as well, which I thought was really really good. How they went with your man? What's Sam Smith. Sam Smith. That song was terrible. Okay, I actually don't think it was that bad. Really? I'm a bit of an apologist there, but I haven't heard the Radiohead one, so I'll... The Radiohead uh, one is... It's very, I mean, it's very Radiohead, but like, yeah. Yeah, but you could see how it completely would fit. Yeah, yeah. like Alice yeah. Cooper did one as well for The Man ha! with the Golden Gun, so yeah, long history of That's that. mad stuff altogether. Right, Mick, tell us about our second wine. Top the second one. Top the first one. So, this one is from the northeast of Italy, around Verona. So the city of lovers in Romeo and Juliet. But this is from a producer called Mazzy. Mazzy are a very, very famous producer, widely distributed here in Ireland. So this is one you can pop in on the way home to wherever you buy your wine and you will be able to find this. Um, this is called Campo Fiorin. And this is around 18 euros and kind of promotes back to about 15. So if you're lucky, you can pick it up for 15 quid. And okay. I just think for 15 quid, it's an absolute steal. Um, this... This family, the Boscaini family, um, they've they're kind of synonymous with Amarone, and Amarone is this style of wine that is big, rich, quite full-bodied, alcoholic, um, but it's made in a, a very interesting process. They they use grape drying, so they pick the bunches of grapes off the vine, then they bring them into a house where they basically lay them down on racks and allow water to evaporate out of the grapes over time. Okay. So in Is doing it that, like their own house or just a random house that they choose? It, it, People I, come I, home and find you, grapes everywhere. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's it's like the horse's head we were talking yeah. about earlier. <laughs> You've got grapes in the bed. Ah, oh, no, grapes oh, are in the no. house. With but um, they, they allow it to, to go through a bit of drying, so they raisin out a little bit, so you get much more concentrated flavours. In reducing the, the amount of water in the grapes, you also get higher alcohol, you get higher acidity, you get all, all of the components are just raised, so the volume is turned up to 12. This wine is the original Ripasso wine, and Ripasso in itself has become kind of a brand in Ireland, and Ripasso literally just means repassed. Mm. And what they do in this is they use a lighter style of Valpolicella. So Valpolicella reds are, are kind of light, crunchy style of red wine. And then they pass it through the grape skins that were used for the Amarone. And it picks up a little bit of that kind of raisiny character as on its way through. Then with this wine, it, it, it's aged in a little bit of oak. So you have this, mm, yeah. like it, it's still bright and fresh, but you have this kind of tart bright cherry mixed with this kind of raisin damson fig kind of thing and then with a little bit of cinnamon and spice and you know what this is just perfect autumn wine and it's like in my mind the reason that I wanted to do this I was having a very delicious squash risotto the other night and I was going this is just the perfect wine for that dish and we're in we're in that kind of time of year where it's all squash and pumpkins and all of those kind of things Mm. and if, if you want to treat yourself do this everly, totally annoying thing of stirring risotto for the rest of all time, but then treat yourself with a glass of this as your reward. Yeah. Fantastic. Squash risotto. Oh, I tell yeah. you what, I've got yeah. notions. Yeah, well, you were a north yeah. and everything. Jesus. <laughs> Far from squash, I was there. Yeah. <laughs> right, let's move on to our second movie of the day. It is Emily. Here's a clip. Did you hear them? Mr. Waitman. Wasn't he? Insufferable. What Reverend Miller said. Meaning of life in a cup of tea. <laughs> what about Waitman's sermon? 
The actual words were all right. He speaks with such poetry, such truth. But any man can speak. What I want to know is, can he actually do? Do what? An empty plate. So, I don't think we've been properly introduced. Uh, Mr. William Waitman. Do any of you actually speak English? <laughs> I do. I mean, this is Emily, Anne, and Charlotte. I'm Charlotte. God bless you all. Right, uh, that was Emily there. Obviously, the first thing that people will notice is not written in ye olde language. No, it isn't at all. No, I mean, the language in it is very kind of that sort of stifled, very... Uh, pronounced kind of English but yeah I mean it's a very natural film I would say like it's very much about the idea of you know if you go through heartbreak how do you process it you know that sort of way how do you actually try to make sense of it some people will just retreat into themselves some people will you know like Taylor Swift will get an entire album out of it or in the case sure. of Emily Bronte it's a big day today I know yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, as is her right I will say oh yeah, yeah no completely her right to do it who knew Joe Alwyn was so interesting but um <laughs> yeah but like in the case of Emily what really what it's about is is that she is this woman who feels a huge amount of things because she's a middle child so obviously Obviously, she kind of is kind of treated as a bit of the oddball of the family, doesn't really have a place in it, but sees everything, observes everything, takes it in, has this relationship, this very, very tumultuous relationship with the Reverend, who you heard there, William Waitman, played by Oliver Jackson Cohn. Um, it all kind of implodes in on itself because, again, it's, it's you know, that time period, Regency or whatever, you know, the idea of a Reverend going off with a younger woman was kind of seen as scandalous and everything else. Um, I really, really enjoyed this because I think the performance that Emma Mackey gave was fantastic. I mean, if you've seen Sex Education, you'll know that she's a very, very talented actor. But in this, she's given front and centre to actually run with it rather than just her kind of being a sort of an accoutrement to everyone else, you know, mm. like a supporting character. It's her front and centre and she can do it and do it really, really well. The script as well doesn't minimise... Um, you know, just the idea of going through a lot and trying to make something out of it doesn't cheapen it, you know, that sort of way. It really does kind of grapple with the idea of she's got to do something with all this pain, so she puts it down on paper and writes Wuthering Heights. And the thing to remember as well, Wuthering Heights, when it was first written, was a very, very scandalous book. Oh, God. It was... It was actually full of orgasma. Yeah, that's uh, it. That, yeah. Was the, that was the, the one <laughs> thing that, that. Uh, you'd, no, you'd noticed about Yeah, it, and yeah. I would say that's the other interesting part about Emily as well, is that it is quite an explicit film. Like, I mean, there are some very, 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 uh, you know, sex scenes in this that mm. I was kind of like, wow, for a period drama, this is very, very full on. Because normally they're so chaste, and it's all about the gestures with the hand. Yeah, and, and what's not said and all that and stuff. What's yeah. And that can, be, that can be very, very erotic for some people. But in this, like, it's very front and centre. They are going at it. They are clapping cheeks. <laughs> right. And, you know, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot for a period drama. I know. She's going, she's laughing yeah. there. Yeah. Or, or just a lot in general. In general, yeah. But it's, again, it's a really, really good film. I really would encourage people to see it. Like, it's definitely worth a watch. Okay. And this is uh, in cinemas as well? It is in cinemas as well. Now, it's, it's getting harder and harder to see it. I think View and Leafy Valley have it and a few other places have it. I think the Lighthouse still have it. I think the IFI still have it. But yeah, you'll have to look for it. But it's worth the watch. Okay. All right. Okay. That's uh, That sounds like a good recommendation. Finally, though, Fanula, you're way too young to remember yeah. right? the first Twister. Yeah. And the thing that, that, that always struck me about Twister when I saw it is I was waiting now. It was 
kind of pre-internet mm-hmm. but I was waiting for somebody at some point to count the amount of times the word run <laughs> is uttered in Twister as in this is a big vol- this is a big tornado coming at us run like that's advice you need at that yeah. moment but they're going to make a second one it turns out we are getting a second one it's going to start filming next year and it's going to focus on Helen Hunt's daughter who is also just obsessed with chasing storms apparently no director attached yet um, but uh, the screenplay is from the guys who did The Revenant um, will be very interesting for people who are into tornadoes don't know Helen Hunt hasn't signed on yet but I think there's they'll get a rack for something a- any cows flying yeah. I mean, that's unconfirmed bovine a- cameos unconfirmed there are a total of eight tornadoes in the film in Twister no word though on how many uh, times it says run, run. <laughs> no it's just like people are going run no you run it's, it's, <laughs> everybody it's, run it's a fantastic drinking game and I need to sell some wine so there you there go, go. That's, that's weekend ah, plan sorted well done Mick good one uh, thanks of course to Mick Fanula and Brian uh, that's our lot for today uh, is it Kieran up next or are they, uh, uh, they're still in London oh God, they're having a lovely time there in London right Kieran's up next in London our production team today Ashley Moore Hugo De Silva Simon Tierney and Claire Collins we'll talk to you on Monday have a lovely weekend Movies and Booze I'm Moncrief on News Talk